Globe podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. We are continuing our series, The Gospel, and actually, also, we have a church app that if you want to fill out the sermon notes on that, I think over 100 people each Sunday use the church app, log into the church app, and use that to fill out their notes. So if someone has their cell phone out next to you, they probably aren't on Facebook. They're probably taking notes on the church app, so it's okay. See, right there. We got one right there. Um, We are continuing our series called The Gospel According to Pixar, and I get to share this morning about The Incredibles. Now, I had never seen The Incredibles before I found out I was teaching on it this morning. (laughs) So if you haven't seen it yet, it's okay. You're in good company. I just had this faint memory from when I was a kid going to church here of Pastor Marty wearing a Mr. Incredibles costume (laughs) on stage. He wore it on stage during one of his sermons. And as a kid, as a kid, I was in awe, not because he has some superpowers, but because he's a man who's committed to use his gifts that God has given him. And, um, and also because there's a grown man in a cartoon costume. <laughs> so The Incredibles is, I did go watch the movie, um, and The Incredibles is a is a story about a family of superheroes who have incredible superpowers, but they've been told not to use them and are part of the superhero relocation program. (laughs) Helen Parr, Elastigirl, was um, was watching her husband slowly lose himself in work he hated, all the while trying to raise their kids and hold their family together, sometimes literally with her elastic arms. And their kids, Violet, Dash, and Jack-Jack, were told to just lie low and be, just behave. Dash actually had, like, could run super, super fast, and he wasn't allowed to be on the sports team and use his gifts. And it's eating Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, alive. Instead of using his incredible gifts, he's stuck in a tiny cubicle pushing papers for an annoying boss. He would give anything to be Mr. Incredible again. We're going to watch a clip. Sit down, Bob. Anyone have this, boss? <laughs> I'm not happy, Bob. Not happy. Ask me why. Okay. Why? Why what? Be specific, Bob. Why are you unhappy? Your customers make me unhappy. What? You've gotten complaints? Complaints I can handle. What I can't handle is your customers' inexplicable knowledge of InsuraCare's inner workings. They're experts! Experts, Bob! Exploiting every loophole, dodging every obstacle! They're penetrating the bureaucracy! Did I do something illegal? No. Are you saying we shouldn't help our customers? The law requires that I answer no. We're supposed to help people. We're supposed to help our people! Starting with our stockholders, Bob! Who's helping them out, huh? You know, Bob, a company is like an enormous clock. Is like an enormous clock. Yes, precisely. 
It only works if all the little cogs mesh together. Now, a clock needs to be cleaned, well lubricated, and wound tight. The best clocks have jewel movements, cogs that fit, that cooperate by design. <laughs> I'm being metaphorical, Bob. You know what I mean by cooperative cogs? Bob? Bob? Look at me when I'm talking to you, Bob! That man out there. He needs help. Do not change the subject, Bob. We're discussing your attitude. He is getting mugged. Well, let's hope we don't cover him. I'll be right back. Stop <laughs> right now, or you're fired! Close the door. Get over here now. I'm not happy, Bob. Not happy. He got away. <clears throat> Good thing, too. <laughs> you were this close to losing your... <laughs> uh -oh. Do you ever feel that way? You, have inc you see needs around you, but you feel stuck. You have dreams that God's put inside you, but you haven't stepped out to, to live them out yet. You have incredible gifts, but you feel like you can't use them. In 1 Peter, uh, Peter 4.10, it says that everyone has gifts. Each of us has gifts that God has given us. And God wants us to unwrap our gifts. Kids, on the front of your notes, um, if, on the front for the kids, it says, God wants us to blank our blank. And you can fill in those notes. God wants us to unwrap our gifts. And I think like this, that if this is true, then maybe one of the things that frustrates God and disappoints God is all the gifts he's given us that remain unwrapped. And if we did unwrap them, think of the love, joy, peace, and justice that we could spread in the lives of those around us. Superheroes are born with superpowers, and to do anything other than use them is frustrating. Christians have spiritual gifts, and to do anything other than use them to serve others and advance the kingdom of God should be frustrating to us and is frustrating to God. But many of us are just lying low, letting our gifts go unwrapped. And I think that we focus way too much on not doing anything wrong and way too little on doing something right. Are you going to be playing to not lose, or are you going to start playing to win? Are you going to be about prevention, or are you going to be about making progress for the kingdom? Are you going to be about risk management, or are you going to be about courageously conquering opportunity, maintaining the status quo, or, or stepping into the revival and renewal that God has for you? Are you here to stick to your plan this morning, or step into God's plan? I think that a lot of people, when they come to church, they expect the pastor to tell them that the Bible says nothing that will make you uncomfortable. I think that's, that's, a lot of people want me to say, the Bible says stay right where you are. And if it does say something that will make us uncomfortable, then we look at the pastor and we want them, you better explain that away right now for me. You got to explain that away. 
But this morning, my hope is that we will get uncomfortable as we look at what the Bible says, as we look at God drawing us into relationship with him. He's not letting us stay where we're at. He's calling us into a deeper relationship with him. We're going to look at what the Bible says about unwrapping our gifts. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for being able to come together as the church and worship you this morning. I pray that you would give me the words to speak this morning, then the strength to speak them, that, that the words I speak would be what you want spoken this morning, that you would give me discernment. And well, I have beautiful notes I worked so hard on that it would be what your plan is that happens. I pray for everyone here that, that each of us would choose to have soft hearts this morning and be ready to get uncomfortable and step into what you have for us. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Would you navigate with me to 1 Samuel chapters 13 and 14? So Israel, God's people, is at war with the Philistines. And the Philistines are a deadly enemy of Israel. They fight them over, and Israel fights the Philistines over and over in the Bible. And they... The Philistines have high-tech weapons. No kids, not like laser beams. They have iron instead of bronze. They started using iron to make their weapons. And they also took control of all of the blacksmiths in the area. So that means the, the Israel had to go to the Philistines if they wanted their tools sharpened. So if we look at chapter 13, verse 22, it says, So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or spear, except for Saul and Jonathan. Would you take that down for just a second? All right, kids, who are the two main characters in this story that I just said? I just said two names. I need a kid to shout it out. I have, oh, Sadie. What are the two names? Awesome! You get a gift card to go see Incredibles 2. Great job. So Jonathan is the son of Saul. Now all the kids are listening. <laughs> I, I saw all of them go like, <laughs> So Jonathan is the son of Saul. Um, and it is not looking good on this day of battle for them. They have no weapon, or only two weapons to face an overwhelming force. And this is where Saul is in the middle of this. In, in uh, chapter 14, verse 2, it says, Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah, around the pomegranate tree at Migron. The enemy is approaching and Saul is chilling on the outskirts of the battlefield under a pomegranate tree, probably eating grapes, being fanned by palm branches. I think all Saul is concerned about is not losing. And the best way to not lose is to sit on the sidelines. But church isn't intended to be a spectator sport. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says that God has given you gifts that he might not have given me, and he's given me gifts that he might not have been give, given you, and that same, the same is true for you and your neighbor, that we can't be half-hearted in our participation in the life of the church, because we have a hope that we've got to get out in the community around us, right? Each of us are sinners. Christ died for us on the cross so that we could have eternal life and go to heaven for eternity where there will be no more suffering. No more bills, and kids, no more bullies. 
Yay! <laughs> We've got to work together to advance the gospel. And that's going to take your gifts, it's going to take my gifts, all working together. Do you remember what Saul said to David when David was about to fight Goliath? David, um, context is David is the, becomes the next king of Israel after Saul, and he's friends with with um, Jonathan, and he's a shepherd boy. No one really expected much of David, but he went, he offered, and Goliath is this giant Philistine man, the Philistines that we're talking about in this story. Goliath is this giant Philistine man, and he challenged someone from Israel to a fight, and David was the only person who offered to step up and fight Goliath. And Saul responded to David, and he said, you're only a boy. But I don't see Saul stepping up to fight Goliath for him. Instead, I see Saul letting a shepherd boy fight his battles for him. And kids, if you were in this room, a lot of people like to make it sound like you can't be a part of advancing the gospel. Like you have to wait until you grow up to start doing something significant with your lives. But that's not true. You can go fight Goliath right now. And adults, if you're in this room, a lot of you are, it can become easy to let the next generation deal with the problems instead of addressing them today. It can be very easy to sit on the couch and just let things pass by. So here's what I'm getting at. Adults and kids, if you're looking for an excuse to sit on the, on the sidelines, you'll find one. We're all busy. We've all got too much going on. But that's what I love about Mr. Incredible. He has got problems. He is so overweight, he can't even fit his superhero belt on. He is twice the superhero he used to be. See, in kids' ministry, when I make a cheesy joke like that, normally one of the kids just calls me on it and like, actually, Jaden often does. She's like, good one, good one, <laughs> nice, or it's not working. He and his family have superhero fights. You think your family's fights are bad? Mr. Incredible is having super, what if your kids had superpowers? Like they could outrun you. That's, it's crazy, but he doesn't let any of that keep him on the sidelines. So Jonathan is tired of sitting on the sidelines. Saul is sitting on the sidelines, but Jonathan is like Mr. Incredible listening to the police scanner. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 3, it's at the end of verse 3, it says, No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. Jonathan didn't leave the camp saying, Look at me, look at me, I'm about to go trust the Lord. He didn't do this for personal glory. He went and trusted the Lord and stepped out to see what the, what the Lord could do for him, through him. And why was he done passively waiting on the sidelines? He saw that the need was great. Did you know the need is great in our community? The need is great in the lives of the people around you. Your friends, your next door neighbors, your coworkers, the other kids at your school, the need is great in our community. In fact, there are 5,000 kids in Canyon Country, approximately, who do not know Jesus. And I think the reason that these problems continue is that a lot of us have left our gifts wrapped up, or we've just kept them to ourselves. 
I get to do an outreach each week over in an apartment complex in Santa Clarita, and I get to share the gospel with kids and teenagers. And during it, I'm always, it's always a surprising reminder as each week there are kids at it who are learning basic truths about Jesus for the first time in our community. Pastor Tyler and I were talking, he spoke at the outreach this last week, and we were talking, and he said afterwards, he said, um, you know, I think a lot of people think that when they share their faith with others, people are going to be opposed to it. But in reality, I think a lot of people have just never even considered Christianity. What happens when one generation assumes that people know the gospel? The next generation grows up not knowing it. Jonathan saw that the need was great. You see the need in our community. And he knew that God wanted to work through someone. God wanted to work through someone to, and God wants to work through someone to reach this community. God wants to work through someone to reach your friends, your family, your community. Are you going to unwrap your gifts this morning? Are you going to, pa- or are you going to passively wait on the sidelines? I, going on in this story, in verse 4, we find out the next steps that Jonathan took. It says, to reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bo, uh, Bozaz and Sina. Um, and in verse 6, it says, let's go across to the outpost of the, those pagans. Jonathan said to his arm bearer, Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. I don't know about you guys, but often I live my life like I'm serving a small God. I don't live my life like nothing can hinder the Lord. I doubt, I question, and I end up not stepping out. What if we started living? What could the church in Santa Clarita look like if we started living like nothing can hinder the Lord? Jonathan was done passively waiting on the sidelines. We're going to watch two more clips. The first one appears a little earlier in the movie than the second one. The 14, or the 5, or the 405. All of them. What are you waiting for? I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. Me too, kid. I think a lot of us live our lives waiting for something amazing to happen. And I think sometimes what we call waiting on God isn't really waiting on God. It's lack of faith. 
Waiting in the upper room for 10 days, that's waiting on God. What we do, it's not waiting on God. I remember the story of Exodus when the Israelites are fleeing the same group of people we're talking about this morning that are fleeing Egypt and headed to the Red Sea. Kids, you remember the story of the Red Sea? Yeah? Any kids remember? Jaden, thank you. (laughs) Yep, Sadie, perfect. Uh, So the Israelites are fleeing the Egyptians and they are are running for their lives because the Egyptians start chasing after them. And they're trapped between the Egyptians and the Red Sea. And they turned to Moses, who's leading them at the time, and started complaining to him. Why did you bring us out here to die? Which becomes their line that they repeat throughout the Exodus account. And, um, and Moses responds to the people with this verse. The Lord will fight for you. Just stay calm. Exodus 14, 14. And we love that verse. We love to quote that verse because it lets us sit comfortably right where we are at. It, um, it lets us just, just stay where we are, sit back, throw out the lawn chair, drink the lemonade, and, and let someone else deal with my problems. You know what? I'm going to stay on the couch tonight. Then God can go over to the neighbor's house. He can go have dinner with the neighbors tonight. But this is how God responds to Moses in the next verse. Exodus 14, 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. The Israelites were headed to the promised land and they felt trapped between these Egyptians and the Red Sea. But God is saying, I promised you the promised land, so keep heading in that direction and trust that I'm going to provide along the way. And, jo- and, and in this story, Jonathan is having that kind of faith to keep heading towards the promised land and stepping out in what God has called him to Passive waiting is sitting under a pomegranate tree waiting for something amazing to happen. Proactive waiting is picking a fight with the Philistines. So I love, I love Jonathan's plan because it's a terrible plan. Honestly, like militarily speaking, you take two of the guys, you have 600 people, and so you say, let's take two of them and go fight this army. Plus, in, um, plus in verse 8, it's, It says, all right then, Jonathan told them, we will cross over to them and let them see us. I don't know about you, but if I was going to surprise, if I was going to attack an overwhelming force, I would want to go in the middle of the night and surprise attack them when they don't know what's coming. But instead, Jonathan goes over to them and shows themselves to them. And then he makes up this sign and he says, if they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up, and that will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. I don't know about you, but if I was making up signs that the Lord was going to be on my side, I would say, God, if all of the Philistines fall off the side of the mountain, I will know that you are with me. (laughs) Or if they throw off their swords or raise little white flags, then God, you are with me. I, I, I will believe you then. I don't know if I always have this kind of faith that if the enemy says, come at me, bro, that I'll, that I'll follow him um, and, uh, and, 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 and take the fight to the enemy knowing that God is going to provide, knowing that God is going to help me overcome. And so Jonathan climbs the cliff. 
he defeats an entire battalion of Philistines. The Philistines go fleeing in every direction. It causes chaos in their camp. And in verse 23 of chapter 14, it says, so the Lord saved Israel that day. Here's what I want you to see. The course of Israel's history was changed by one person who had the faith to get off the sidelines and use whatever God had given them. Faith is not being able to see the end of the story. It's trusting the one who does. And I believe that God wants to change the course of the lives of people around you. If you would choose to get off the sidelines, have a faith mindset, and use the gifts he's given you, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. What if Jonathan had just sat on the sidelines? I have a theory, genius theory. If Jonathan had done nothing, then nothing would have happened. Getting, I know, it's good, right? (laughs) Write that one down, okay? Getting off the sidelines is not a one-time event. It's a daily decision. Over and over in our lives, we have to decide, oh, I need to get off the sidelines again. I have to keep um, pressing forward in this area. And uh, Pastor Jonathan had shared a little bit about my story earlier. And um, it's funny, when you wrap up your story in just like a concise thing, we can make our stories sound so great, right? Sounds so nice. But multiple times throughout my life, I've had moments where I've caught myself sitting on the sidelines and realized that I had to get off the sidelines. When I was graduated high school, I had expressed that this was my desire to become a children's pastor, and um, I wanted to pursue that direction. And um, so I graduate high school and start going to COC, and then I just kind of start clipping away at COC, and I know I need to go to Bible college, but I didn't apply. And then one day I got home, and my dad and my uncle were sitting in the living room, and they wanted to go to lunch with me. And I was like, oh, great. What, what did I do? What happened? And they took me out to lunch, and they grilled me for the entire lunch about what I believe, about what I believed God called me to, about what I, what, what I wanted to do, the needs I see around me, and how I think I could help meet them. And it was frustrating me because I thought that they didn't, they didn't agree with me or didn't believe me, and at the end of the conversation, they said, okay, go do that, go do that. And uh, it took a catalyst in my life to get me off the sidelines. And you can also, if you are off the sidelines, if you say, I am serving, I am doing everything I can with my life, then maybe you can be that catalyst in the life of someone around you. The, so Saul is, when we get off the sidelines, we begin to discover also how God wants to use our gifts and use us. It wasn't until I started interning at the church that I really, and putting into practice what I said I wanted to do, that I really got to experience how God wanted to use me. It wasn't until I stepped out that I got to discover that. And I've also discovered that doing is a whole lot, you learn a whole lot more about your gifts by doing and practicing them than you do by sitting in a chair and taking a spiritual gifts test or a strengths finder 2.0 or whatever test um, you like that you find so much more by doing. Often we sit on the sidelines with solid excuses. I can't find my superhero suit. 
we only have two swords. I just want to watch Netflix tonight. My schedule is so busy. Normally those go together too. My schedule is so busy, but I got to watch Netflix. It doesn't make sense. Um, I don't have the money, but God might be calling you to discover your gifts. God is calling you and I to unwrap our gifts, and we don't do that from the bench. We discover our gifts when we get off the sidelines and get into the game. Recently, a guy I got to know at Bible college Facebook messaged me, and he said, Brandon, how do you keep your faith so stable? And now what he didn't know at the time was that often I do question my faith. I do doubt. I have moments where I go, is this what even I believe? And there are those moments. But I responded to him and gave him a very theological answer on how to, how to keep your faith strong. But what I realized after that was that really how I keep my faith strong is that I get to work with kids and I see kids week in and week out live out their lives with childlike faith. There are two specific ways that I think all of us can get off the sidelines this morning. During worship, I invite you to consider other ways that might be specific to you, that thing that God has put in you that you know you need to live out. But this morning, there are two things that I think are for every one of us in this room. And I believe that, um, I believe that the best way this morning for us to learn these is through some kids who've lived them out. So I went and interviewed two kids this past week who are living out these points already, and we're going to watch videos of those kids. Um, and I, this is a whole sermon in and of itself, but I'm just going to say one statement. But I believe that childlike faith can give us expanded vision to, um, to make sense of present ambiguities. And so my hope is this morning that you'll be inspired to get off the sidelines and step out in faith into what God has called you to. So first, you can be a part of church consistently. You can show up. Often people will say, I feel so distant from God. Well then stop running from him. So we're gonna watch a video this morning from Katie. She's a fifth grader who comes to our kids ministry at first service and, uh, and yeah, you'll see her story. I can't keep a straight face. It's okay. <laughs> okay. So, Katie, you and your family stopped going to church for a little while, right? Yeah. So, what got your family to go back to church? Um, my New Year's resolution. Um, I decided that we haven't, since we haven't been going to church, that I felt like we should go more often. So. It's kind of family's resolution, kind of, but it's mostly because I thought of it. One of my favorite topics to talk about is God, and at school, I can't really talk about that because people can get offended, and I obviously don't want to do that. So going to church kind of helps. Like, I can talk about God all I want, and I know that people are listening, and they won't take it offensively. And, it kind of just makes me come closer. I, felt, I feel his love, more of his love in my heart when I come to church. So, why is church important to you? Um, church is very important. 
So you, so you went back to church, and that meant your parents came to church with you, and your cousins started going to church with you. Yeah. That's cool. Is there anything else you want to say? You want to shout out to your followers? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> At first service, there was a row of like nine people that were all here this morning at church because she, brought, she decided to come back to church. And I think that not only do we need to come to church regularly, consistently, but also bringing others to church with you can change how you experience church. So the second interview and the second point is, so the second point is you can get involved by serving at church. And this morning we, I got, or this Thursday I went down to a hospital and got to interview uh, Sarah Donegan, who we have prayed for on stage this morning. She is, in, only, was only in the hospital for precautionary reasons, but, um, but, and she was going to be here with us this morning, but she was not able to make it just because of her health issues, as you will see, but here's a video. You might need tissues. Say something. Something. Sarah, could you share a little bit about what you've been going through? Um, I, well, I used to play piano on the kids' worship team in Champs. I also served a few times in Little Roundup in, pre, in the pre-toddler rooms. But um, earlier this year, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. And I've had to do, um, after, I had, um, surgery to have the initial tumor removed and then I've also had to have aggressive chemotherapy and radiation treatments so I haven't been able to serve on the worship team. You, that's a lot to go through huh? Yeah. That's a lot. You literally have every reason to not step out and serve right? But still, you served recently, right? Yes. Could you tell us about that? Um, well, I wasn't um, sure if I was going to be able to serve again, and I missed being able to serve on Sundays. I served at Buckaburger. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, and you passed out hamburgers and yeah, stuff I to. Yeah, passed out hamburgers and um, and hamburger buns and hot dog buns.
Sarah has every reason not to serve. Every reason. But she is filled with childlike faith. She realizes that life is short, so we must make our lives about sharing the good news that we have with others. If you're looking for an excuse to sit on the sidelines, you're going to find one. But God has commanded us to go and make disciples. We've got to share the good news that we have with those around us. Now, you don't have to be perfect to get started. If you wait until you're, you're perfect, you're going to be waiting your whole life. God sees our mistakes. He sees my mistakes. He sees our failures, and he still says, you are my chosen. You might feel inadequate, but this morning God is saying, hey, shepherd boy, go fight Goliath. Do you see the needs around you? God is looking for someone to work through, someone willing to unwrap their gifts and get off the sideline. So here's my question. Will you sit under a pomegranate tree passively waiting for something amazing to happen? Or are you going to proactively pick a fight with the Philistines? Even if it's hard, even if they outnumber you. Let's get off the sidelines this morning. Let's start playing to win. If we take a step of faith, perhaps the Lord will help us. I'm going to pray. God, I, first I, I, I thank you for... Um, for these kids who have such incredible faith and for letting us be inspired by them, God. Letting, this, letting these kids build our faith this morning, God. I pray that you would give us that kind of faith this morning. That whatever people in this room are facing, that, that you would give them faith that you are the author of their story, God. And I pray that you would give each of us the confidence and the boldness to step off the sidelines, step out into what you have for us. In your name we pray, amen.